0: This morning, we're going to be in the book of Philippians, the letter to the church at Philippi, in chapter 2, and verses 1 through 11. But y'all, this has been another one of those weeks, hasn't it, where evil just seems so pervasive, and depravity so deep, and the plowing down of lives in a place like Nice there in France, and... The turmoil that's going on in the world around us, it's as if the world is burning, isn't it? But thanks be to God, we have a Savior who walks through the fire with us. Amen? And listen, he's not just another way to be added to a list of ways, not another, just another prophet or another Buddha. He's not just a better way. He is the way, the only way, and the truth, and the life. So what a joy for us in the midst of all that to be able to gather as a faith family right here and look at the sure word of God. In need of no editing, in need of no updating, truth with no mixture of error. Amen? So would you stand with me if you are able this morning in honor of the reading of God's word Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if, or since, some translations say, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray together this morning. There is none like you, O Lord. Your name is great. You are great. And Lord, we long to see you exalted in this place today. We come humbly before you, needy people, in need of your grace, and your love, and your mercy, and your peace, and your joy in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would keep me from speaking any error this morning, that you would guide our time, that you would incline hearts to your word, Not just to be hearers of the word, but doers. That we would look to Christ and his example. And have our minds changed to look more like your son. So that in this world in which we live, so broken by sin, full of hurt and pain, that we would be a wonderful witness, a light pointing people to Jesus. Thank you for your word this morning. It's in Jesus' good name that we pray. Amen. You all can have a seat this morning. I want to begin by looking at the context of this passage this morning. Just briefly at the context. We see the beginnings of this church in Philippi. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17. We've been preaching through Acts before summer, and there in 17, you see the beginning of this church. And you can just imagine, as Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter to that church, to that group of believers there in Philippi, that he would have remembered fondly meeting Lydia, that businesswoman. There in Philippi and having the privilege of leading her and her family to Christ and seeing them grow in their faith. Or even he might have remembered that night that he spent at the home of a Philippian jailer after being chained up and after an earthquake. And seeing God work in the life of that Philippian jailer and his family. This is a church that Paul loved. They brought him great joy. are several others that he mentions even by name in this letter ...to the church in Philippi, this church that he loves, that he cares about. And in this portion of the letter, he's sharing them what it looks like to live a life in the way of Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 27 real quick. That kind of begins this section where we will be today, where it says, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So he's talking about their manner of life, the way they're walking, the way they're living is to be worthy of the gospel. And there at the end of chapter 1, he talks to them about how they can resist those external pressures that come as we live this life as a family of faith, as a church. And then here in this section we're looking at today, he's pointing out to them the attitude or the mind that they are to have in order to be unified within How to live within the body of Christ and the way that God attends. Because, you see, apparently, there was creeping into that church there in Philippi a little bit of pride. A little bit of putting self before others. Looking to one's own interests before the interests of others. Maybe even some divisiveness that was coming in. Later in chapter 4, he actually calls a couple folks out by name. Yodia and Syntyche. Can you imagine the church gathering together? We got a letter. We got a letter from Paul. He sent us a letter. Let's read it. Church, gather. We're all going to gather tonight. Let's read that letter. They get together and read the letter. And can you imagine Yodia and Syntike kind of sinking down in their chair a little bit when they get called out there by name? We don't know what it was, what the division maybe was. We don't know if Yodia brought a dessert to a potluck and Syntike didn't like it and talked bad about it. We don't know. But there was division. And there was pride and there was looking to oneself that was beginning to creep into this church that Paul loved. Now, aren't you glad that 2,000 years later that we, as more advanced, deep, better believers, don't struggle with those same type things? Isn't that great? No, we do still, don't we? Every one of us. We struggle with pride. We struggle with putting ourselves first in these type things. And the reason is, the reason we deal with those kinds of things in our relationships uh, in every context is because we're sinners, right? We're sinners. And whenever you get a group of sinners together, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be that putting self first and putting self before others. And so we need to deal with these things because it affects every one of our relationships, There's going to be times when we struggle with being self-centered, prideful. There is no perfect family, right? There's no perfect school, workplace. And listen, there's no perfect church either. If you find it, you better take the advice that my dad gave to me when I was a young man coming up. He said, Jason, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. (laughs) And he was right. There is no perfect church. If you find it, don't join it. you mess it up. We're not perfect because we're flawed, but God wants to do a work in our lives. And we don't just say, well, that's just who I am. God wants to do a work in our lives. And so what does the Apostle Paul do here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to address this kind of mundane problem that every one of us have, of putting self first, of kind of arrogance? What does he do? He drops on them one of the deepest most intense, richest pictures of Jesus Christ and his person and work in leaving heaven and coming into this sin-broken world. And he says, that's the solution. He says, that's the solution. Whoa, that's kind of deep. Yeah, it is. Because the problem's deep, right? It's in our heart. It's a problem of sin in our heart. And so Paul brings to bear this incredible picture This incredible example of Jesus Christ. And he says, you're to have that same attitude. Have that attitude. And that's what we're going to see as we look at this passage today. The supreme example of humility and the attitude, the mind, that we as followers of Christ are to put on. That we're to have in our relationships with one another, in our families, wherever we are. That kind of attitude that is exemplified by this incredible picture that we'll see of Christ. So let's look at it. It begins with the exhortation. It begins with an exhortation, an appeal, a call, an urging. Don't be that way, be this way. An exhortation. Look at it in verse. these verses here. Let's begin in verse 2 where it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Followers of Jesus Christ are called to be unified in their affections. Followers of Jesus Christ are called to be unified in our affections. Not uniform, not us all looking the same, having the same interests, hobbies, look, preferences. But unified in our affections, loving the Father, loving others, glorifying God, serving others. We're to have the same affection. And it's that love for for God, for others, that is the starting point for unity. That's the starting point. That's where it begins. The starting point for being in full accord, having one mind. And listen, that exhortation, that call that you see here by Paul uh, doing, um, of being one-minded, having the same mind, having the same love, that's not just a call that Paul gives. You see, Jesus saying the same thing in his high priestly prayer. When Jesus prays to the Father in John seventeen twenty-three, he prays, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, And loved me, even, and loved them even as you loved me. That prayer that Jesus prayed there for folks like us sitting in a place like this on a day like today that we would be one as a wonderful testimony. A wonderful testimony. And then that same love, Jesus called for it in John 13. A new command I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There is to be a unity amongst the bride, amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, that is centered on and anchored to Our love for God and our love for others. That's where we have one mind, one heart. That wonderful unity. But not only that, followers of Jesus are also called to be humble in our attitudes. Followers of Jesus are called to be humble in our attitudes. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Listen, our thinking should not start and end with ourselves. Our thoughts, our minds, our attitudes should not start and end with self and all that we say and all that we do and all that we're about. I was at the lake this past couple of days with my family Had a great time. It was a family reunion. Had lots of cousins and nephews and nieces all gathered there, uncles and aunts. And I became the jet ski ride giver person to all those little people that were there gathered at the lake. And if I heard it once, I heard it 30, 40, 50 times. It's my turn. I'm going to be first. I want to be first. it's my turn. I was next. And listen, we've all got a little bit of that still in us, don't we? I mean, these were four, five, six, seven, eight year-olds. but there's something in that human heart that wants self first. wants to put ourselves first. And what Jesus what Paul is communicating to us right here as we're going to look to the example of Christ, no, followers of Christ are to be humble in. Our attitudes. Mark twelve thirty one. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Same way that when I'm hungry, when I'm thirsty, when I'm hurting, I take care of it. When you see that in others, love your neighbor in the same way. And Wade talked to us last week about neighborness. How to be neighborly. What a neighbor is. He talked to us about that. But you think, wow, well, it's hard to do. It's hard to take self off the throne to put others first. It's hard. It's hard. How, Paul? How are we to do that? Well, he doesn't send them towards a team-building activity. He doesn't send them to do a few steps to get right in their attitudes with one another and say, you know, hey, check this out. What he does is he says, look at what Jesus did for you and let that point to the fault of pride and self that we each feel in our lives. And he puts this amazing passage on him. And again, the problem's deep. And the solution has to be deep. Not a Band-Aid, not a self-help book. Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus at work in our lives. And we see that solution pointed to right here in verse 5. Where do we we look? What do we look to? Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind, not putting self first, not looking to your own interests, and that mind is yours in Christ Jesus, and he is the ultimate example of that mind, of that attitude that we are to look at. So let's look at it, the example. What is the example that we see in verses 6 through 8? It's Christ. And this incredible descent and humbling of Christ, this stepping down from heaven into a sin-broken world full of pain and death and sin. It's an incredible picture that I've had the privilege of studying and pouring over in my mind this week and i pray that together we just get a glimpse of what jesus did when he stepped down to heaven stepped down from heaven into this world let's look at the example and listen jesus is the ultimate example of humility he is ultimate there is none that could be a better example it can't be touched it's incomparable jesus is the ultimate example of our humility because he stepped down from the highest Jesus stepped down from the highest. There was no higher person or no higher point from which anyone could have stepped down. He was very God himself. Look at verse 6. Who though he was in the form of God. Now listen, there have been heresies, there have been cults that have taken this passage and twisted it to change who Jesus was. But when it says that he was in the very form of God, that word morphe, that's not Jesus was kind of pushed into a mold to kind of look like God. This is talking about his inner being, his very essence, his very nature, who he was, Jesus was in very nature God, very form God. There is no one else who could have stepped down from a position of as high as he did. It wasn't a created being that was sent to earth, not an angel that was sent to earth, not a person. It was God himself stepping into history, stepping into our world. He came from the highest. He stepped down from the highest. Jesus, the one through whom all things were made, didn't send somebody else in his stead. Oh, I don't want to go. Send somebody else. He stepped down from the highest. Not only did he step down from the highest, he gave up the most. He gave up the most. He willingly let go for a time of his position and his privilege and his prerogatives to step down into a sin broken world. Look at what it says in verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Again, it's important that we understand what that's saying. Very important we understand what that's saying. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The equality that he had with God, the complete equality that he had with God in his position and in his power, when it was time to step into history and to step into this world, he didn't cling on to it and hold on to it and fight for it but willingly let go. He didn't grasp at it. He let go and stepped down into flesh. Not giving up 1% of his deity or his divinity. Fully God but not clinging to that position that he was in in heaven but stepping down not clinging to it. And Listen. We struggle sometimes with giving up our place in a line, at a Walmart, or in traffic. We hold on to our position. That's my spot. I'm right there. You can't be there. I'm there. I'm not leaving here. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. He let go. It's incredible what Christ did if somehow we could be lifted up into heaven right now, that very real place into the presence of the Father, seeing His glory, that place with no pain, no sickness, every tear wiped away, there wouldn't be one of us who would say, you know, this is nice, but I'm just ready to go back to Hernando. Not a single one of us. Jesus came from the highest and he gave up the most in leaving heaven and stepping in to the world. Stepping into it. And he emptied himself. What does that mean, he emptied himself? He didn't become any less God. He didn't give up who he was or his nature. But that word emptied himself, literally it means pouring out. And what he did for a time was he poured himself out into the confines of human flesh veiling his glory his prerogatives as fully God and became a man. Poured himself out not a subtraction of his nature or who he was but pouring himself out into a man. It's incredible. From God Pouring himself out into a little seven or eight pound baby. That's an amazing thing that Jesus did. Emptied himself. Pouring himself out into the confines and limitations of human flesh. Veiling his glory for a time. But not only that, he became the least. Look at verse 7. He became the least. It says that he took the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He became the least he became a servant, that same word he was in the form of God, very nature, God was the same that 's right here. He took on the form of a servant he wasn 't masquerading as a servant when he came, not just some little massy but i 'm going to pretend to be a servant today that 's not what Jesus did. He was a servant, became a servant, and i don 't know of any Uh, a clearer picture of his life and his ministry that you see of his servanthood and the servanthood of Christ than when the one who formulated the H2O molecules dipped his hands in a bowl of water and washed his dirty disciples' feet. It's amazing. It's an amazing picture of the servanthood of Jesus Christ. He was a servant to the utmost. No place to lay his head. A borrowed barn for his birth. A borrowed boat to preach from. A borrowed room for a Passover meal. A borrowed donkey to ride into town. And a borrowed tomb for his body. He was a servant. He, gave, he became the very least. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8 9. Though he was rich, for our sake he became poor. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, Mark 10, 45. He took on the appearance of a man, appeared as a man, his glory veiled. Nothing distinguishing about his appearance. I heard an incredible story several years ago that stuck with me, and it's of a a hostage rescue that took place. There was a small, highly trained team of elite special forces uh, military who uh, broke into the compound, the place where these hostages, this large group of international hostages were being held. And they fought their way to them uh, with you know, all their gear and their heavy ammunition. They came in and they found the, that group of hostages, those captives there in that place just cowering, bound in a dark room. And they said, come on, you're freak, follow us, follow us. But those captives had been so shell-shocked and were in such a state and fear that they cowered. they couldn't move. They were frozen. And so one of those quick-thinking, elite special forces members took off his cover with that night vision goggles, laid it aside. Took off his body armor and laid it aside. And his weapon put it down. And then, looking dirty and tired, sweaty, crawled and embedded himself amongst the captives and crouched down with them and got down in the midst of them. And then when the soldier said, come on, it's time to go, he stood up from among the midst of them. And when he stood up, the others in that group stood up and followed him out. What a picture. We have a Savior who has embedded himself amongst the captives because you know who the captives are? It's us in our sin. That soldier was still a fully trained, elite, special forces operative, but he took that, hid that fact from those that were captive, didn't show it to them, and he came down and hid himself and showed them the way of rescue. That's an imperfect, incomplete picture of what Jesus Christ did. So much better what he did in taking on flesh, becoming the least, And providing a way for our rescue and our deliverance. Not only did Jesus, in his example of humility, step down from the highest, give up the most, and become the least, that would have been enough. That's enough, right? He died the worst. He died the worst. Not a kind of clean, sanitized death and peace and quiet somewhere at a ripe old age. You know, it didn't look like that. It was painful. It was drawn out on full display for a mocking world to witness and to see. Agonizing death that Jesus died. And listen, that's the ultimate purpose in his stepping down and laying aside rights and privileges, and obeying the Father and giving his life on the cross so that we might have life. Matthew twenty twenty eight says he gave his life as a ransom for many. He is the ultimate example because he humbled himself unto death, Jesus through whom all things were created. This is incredible, this picture of this stepping down that Jesus did from Creator to Bethlehem. All-powerful, all-knowing God in the hands of human parents. The one who had created everything, having calloused hands, working with some wood as a carpenter. Jesus, taking on flesh and stepping down in this world. Why would he do such a thing? Why? Why would he do all that? Because he loves you and he loves me, and he demonstrated his love for you, and he demonstrated his love for me, and that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Christ died for you. And listen, when we look to this example of Christ, when we look to that, it crushes every thought that I might have towards my wife of, she was the one that was wrong. I'm not going to forgive her until she apologizes to me. When we look at what Jesus did, it crushes, it kills thoughts of, you know what, I'm not going to talk to him until he does this, this, this. It erases thoughts of, this is my time now. I have my right to this. Don't bother me now, please. Doesn't it? When we look to Christ and what he did on our behalf, what an incredible picture of humility that Paul says, have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let Jesus change your mind. Have this attitude. What a difference that would make in your family, right? If we started looking to Jesus and living in that, well, what a difference it would make in this church. What a difference it would make in our lives if we took on that mind of Christ and sought to have that mind, which is ours in Christ But I want to tell you there's a couple of things that I want to point out that I believe are very important to distinguish between as we look to this example of Christ and seeking to be like him. Following the example of Christ does not provide our salvation. Following the example of Christ does not provide our salvation. What do I mean by that is this is a picture not of how you can get to heaven, but how heaven came to you. It's not what what would Jesus do doesn't save us. It's what Jesus did that saves us. And coming and dying on the cross for our sins. Living a perfect life that we couldn't. Paying the penalty for our sins. That's what saves us. Following the example of Christ does not save us. And there are some that would cling to the hopes that, well, I'm going to try hard enough and I can get into heaven. I want to be good enough. I'm going to be a member long enough. I'm going to attend enough services or enough religious practices, it won't do it. It won't do it. But following the example of Christ is our means of sanctification. God at work in us. It's our means of sanctification. It's not works of righteousness, but worked out righteousness. A couple of weeks ago, Wade defined sanctification this way. The continual process whereby God makes Christ followers more like Christ. The continual process whereby God makes Christ followers more like Christ. When I was a little kid, I had a T-shirt, and it said I was about two or three year old little boy. And a T-shirt said, "Please be patient. God's not finished with me yet." And I think it got me out of some spankings when I was a little guy. I think there are a couple of weapons I deserved and maybe my mom looked at me and saw that and I got out of them. I hope so. But you know the deal is I still need that t-shirt. Not that one. It would be real too small. But a bigger one. I need that t-shirt. Please be patient. God's not finished with me yet. Each one of us does, right? As long as we have breath, God is doing a sanctifying work in our lives. A sanctifying work in our lives. And so we look at this example for our sanctification that Jesus gives, are we willing to give up position, privilege, and right? Or do we cling to it? That's mine. That's my spot. That's my right. Or do we give it up? Are we willing to be least? Are we willing to be last? What's our extent? What's the extent of our willingness to die to self? Jesus is the pattern for us to follow in every area of our lives. I love 1 John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And listen, our sanctification is more than just us trying to be like Jesus. It's an incredible coming together cooperation of our disciplined obedience to the word and ways of the Father and to the ways of Christ and then a working of the Holy Spirit renewing our minds those two things working together conforming us into His Son so we seek to be followers of Christ trusting that His Holy Spirit will work in us God purposing to conform his people into the image of his son, we are to have that attitude and mind of Christ. And after that, praise God the story doesn't end there, right? We see this wonderful exaltation. The exaltation. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me. Beautiful verses. Therefore, Therefore, because he humbled himself, because he was obedient to the Father, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't follow the example of Christ seek to put on the mind of Christ and have the attitude of Christ so that we will be exalted. We do it so that Jesus will be exalted. We seek to follow his way so that he'll be exalted in this church. We seek to follow him so that he'll be exalted in our families, in our schools, in our workplace. It's about Jesus. Look at this wonderful quote from J. Vernon McGee that speaks to our purpose as followers of Christ. Since it is the purpose of God the Father to exalt Jesus Christ, I believe that it is the will of God for every one of us. We are to exalt Jesus Christ wherever we are and in whatever we do. We are to be one with the Father in this ultimate purpose of exaltation of Jesus Christ. So what's the point? To finish up, it's this. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility and we as followers of Christ are to be transformed by that same spirit of humility. Seeking to be like Him, our Savior, servant, not putting self first, loving others in the way that God's called us to, unified, so that He might be exalted And we might be transformed.